So hello everyone, um, we're here today to talk to you about UK SOCs and one of the big things we're going to talk about is the wider impact that this is likely to have on your risk and control frameworks. So I'll start by introducing who we are. So I've got with me my colleague Yang Zheng, uh, who's our Senior Director of Customer Success, and myself, Matthew Davis. Both of us have got a lot of experience of GSA tooling, framework advisory, both working for Deloitte, Yang for IBM and other companies over the last uh, eight or nine years. In today's session, we're going to cover the following. First of all, we'll have a brief history about US SOX, how it came about, some of the events, the timeline so far for UK SOX, so what we know to this date. We'll then cover the purpose and benefits of UK SOX, then look at some of the key points to operationalize this and what you can be doing to embed in your program, and some key takeaways and recommendations. So let's start with US SOX. So US SOX, Sarbanes-Oxley, is a federal law in the US which was brought in to kind of give investors a, some assurance over financial reporting. So one of the things that happened, I think most people are aware of this, is the Enron scandal, obviously where they were falsifying financial data in 2001. There's another one in 2002 with WorldCom. And again, as this was happening, they were working on an act which became the Sarbanes-Oxley Act that companies had two years to comply with, which was improving and putting some controls around financial reporting and how you go about preparing those financial reports. So in that period, after it was put in, there was some surveys done where a lot of, well, a lot of executives were interviewed or they were, well, they were, they were in that period, there was a lot of well, was a survey sent out where financial executives were surveyed and they came back and said, the improvements, well, 79% improving stronger internal controls. And the other thing is that they've actually seen a realized benefit. So i.e. if they didn't have a strong control program before, this put in some rigor around what they should be doing going forward. And as you see that going further forward, people saw distinct improvements in uh, what has gone in from SOX compliance. I know this is a long time ago. A lot of the things that happened in this have started to come into what UK companies do because they're partially listed in the US. So a lot of UK companies are aware of this. But there's a brief history of US SOX. So in terms of the timeline of UK SOX, then, so as Matthew said earlier, as long as a business interacts with a US firm, it's public listed they will have some element of involvement with SOX. And that applies to also large conglomerates whose headquarters may not sit in the US, but because they have procured or they have a sub-entity that is listed or involved in a listed company in the US, they will have to comply with SOX. Since SOX has been part of the law for over a decade now, many other countries have seen the benefit. So for example, in Japan, there's JSOX, um, which is already in play for many, many years now, simply because you need a level of assurance to make sure whatever is produced by these companies to the shareholder or to the wide public has some kind of attestation behind it. And previously, before SOX, there isn't any, right? So that, that, that means they can falsify the details of how their financial performance is. Investors, uh, as well as the public, wouldn't be able to validate whether those numbers are correct. So UK is no different. So 
UK or the FRC in the UK has been looking at something equivalent to a US SOX for many years. You know, ever since the financial crisis, they've been actually looking into this topic. But um, the major step forward is only last year in March 18, when the government issued this white paper called Restoring Trust in Audit and Corporate Governance. Basically, that white paper, you know, highlights and um, sets out different approaches and options to ensure that there are certain steps a large organization take to regain the confidence of the market as well as its shareholders and, and investors. It hasn't been made into law yet. So timeline-wise, the earliest it can become a UK legislation is 2022. However, that may not be realistic considering we're already halfway through the year. So it might be a 2023 scenario where this new SOX-like legislation will be finalized and, and put into law in the UK. What does that mean for business in the UK then? Well, from a timeline perspective, if we use the US SOX as an example, the companies that were listed were given a two-year um, window to prepare themselves to be SOX compliant. Sounds like about a right number of years for companies to actually be able to implement something that's meaningful and that's something substantial to add the level at the station. So it's safe to bet that in the UK, it'll probably have a two-year grace period before it, it is, you know, um, these large companies will have to be um, compliant. And who will need to be compliant with SOX? Well, as a starting place, it's for a company that's listed, right, where you have to publish your financial reportings by the end of each financial year. It's safe to say the ones that will be the focus in the first round of compliance auditing by regulators will be the large ones on the uh, London Stock Exchange. So if you are a FUSI 100 company or if you are a one of the bigger players on the London Stock Exchange, this will be relevant to you very soon. As mentioned earlier, the purpose of a UK SOC, just like the US SOC, is to restore the trust in shareholders as well as in the wider um, public and investors on whether the financial performance of a listed company is sound for investing. And that is restoring the trust within the audit and corporate compliance within those organizations. What's been highlighted in the white paper is the ability to adopt you know, a, a strengthened internal control framework from compliance. And what's also very crucial is that directors of a company now need to attest for their area of responsibility, whether those controls or compliance requirements are actually effective and sound. So it's no longer that, oh, because I produce these financial ledgers, I, I have shared my operations and how I've been performing. This is now valid and the truth. You have to then share a level of attestation to say that you have the right controls and the, the, the regulatory uh, compliance you know, standards or steps that's been adopted to ensure those financial numbers are actually correct. So what's been illustrated in the white paper is kind of three options of that attestation. The first one is uh, attest all aspects of the company's internal control and risk management procedures. That seems like a lot of work. So it would be challenging to actually enforce. The second option is a limited attestation based on the internal control frameworks and procedures that's relevant to financial reporting. 
And this is what SOX does today. The last one is attestation needed against internal control procedures or structures in the financial reporting. But the focus is more letting the auditors do that, do that work and you attest against the end of the audit. Now, that is similar to SOC 1, based on public opinion and what's you know, um, laid out in that white paper itself. It seems like option two is the most likely option that's going to be adopted. That is an attestation from director plus additional reporting on the observation of the thickness by auditors. So it's basically two level of attestation, one by directors and one by auditors. And that is most likely the scenario that will become part of the legislation. And lastly, what's worth pointing out is SOX is actually forcing these large organizations to think about how they manage risk and compliance from a top-down approach. So it's based on objectives, based on business process, operating processes, as well as your financial ledgers embedded in those processes to then determine what is your wider risk and compliance landscape and what activities to follow. So it's, it's going to start from the board or the C-suite on day one. Yeah, I think it's probably worth reiterating that is it's, it's a fundamental shift in how people manage risk and control. I mean, some organizations are already doing this, but it is going to change from you having to have a top-down approach, you're having to embed this and link this to like business processes, objectives, financially significant things. So it, it's a much more top-down thought-through approach to risk and compliance. And it's going to force organizations to have a much more joined-up approach between the, the different risk and control areas. Exactly, Matt. So if we look at the US you know, examples and business cases of the past, the company that thrived in SOX compliance or actually embedded the SOX compliance as part of their own risk and compliance culture are those that looked at how the SOX requirement can benefit them in reshifting how they manage risk and compliance. The companies that failed to add great value based on SOX requirement are those that treated SOX as a siloed exercise in their wider compliance and audit space. What I'm trying to say is, if you think of SOX as an opportunity or a window for you to relook at how your risk and compliance landscape and culture look, you can then come up with a joint up solution is applicable across the organization. And from there, you can stem you know, different processes, different activities, and different um, policies that would then support a more efficient way to tackle risk and compliance in a joint up view. The alternative is you dump in a lot of manpower, do it as a hindsight exercise just to keep the regulators back, and you're not really optimizing or improving your current performance uh, as a business, nor are you able to strategically look at risk and compliance as the landscape changes in the future. Yeah, it just ends up being additive, doesn't it? You end up adding another compliance framework or, or control set that you need to manage. And you're not really thinking about optimize and centralize and really bring things together. You're just going, okay, let's add another and it becomes another to the side. And look, as organizations evolve, that approach gets harder and harder because you, you end up spending a lot of money on each framework requiring a new team to manage. And it just gets much more challenging. And then when you want a complete view of reporting, it, it becomes almost impossible. Precisely. So I think if we go through the benefits of 
a SOX approach. I mean, the first one is obviously strengthening the control environment. It's absolutely pivotal that you end up with a strong and robust control framework that's understood by the business and it's underpinned to all your critical processes and systems. Second one is improving documentation. So you have standardized documentation, you have standard ways of reporting and defining controls that are understood throughout the organization. I think all of us who've done this have seen controls to different levels in different areas of the business. And what ends up happening is the internal stakeholders and obviously your external stakeholders find it difficult to understand because there's no common view of what a control should be and how you report on it. And also, this is a good opportunity then to think about what you're doing with your audit committee because typically an audit committee is a third line of defense and they normally work uh, you know, on an annual basis to then retrospectively review how an organization is performing or looking at controls by taking sample tests, for example, and, and look at specific controls through those sample tests to see if it's operating effectively. But this is actually a good opportunity to think about, well, if auditors are also looking at compliance and then you have control owners or you have security team that's looking at the compliance, or the effectiveness of your controls uh, that you operate with on a daily basis, why not merge the two together so that you're getting a, a more proactive view of your compliance landscape? And if corrective actions need to happen, they can be defined and committed to at a much earlier stage in your financial year. Because one thing to remember based on US SOX is in a SOX program or for SOX compliance, a company is not able to carry over deficiencies or major or significant deficiencies over the financial year. So what that means from risk compliance term is you can't risk accept things like you did previously. You may be able to risk accept things that's minor and you know park you for a few years, but anything that's major or has an impact against your financial the the, the soundness of your financial reporting will need to be rectified or addressed within the financial year. So that means you have to start thinking proactively, looking at your, your issues and the findings you observe doing your um, compliance exercise much earlier than through a traditional auditing life cycle. Yeah, and that kind of comes into that standardized process, doesn't it? Because then you end up with standardized processes around when you test, your cycles of testing controls. You've got those early warning signs of if you standardize them, you can start to use like, uh, key control indicators you can use in some cases can continuous control monitoring to know about these things early on in the process and then if you're working with audit compliance and security and the it teams operations teams that much more joined up approach means that when you identify issues they work together and you mitigate them much much earlier or if you can't mitigate them you start to <laughs> develop a story do things that you can do to bring the risk down throughout the year. So you're not ending up with that reactive audit approach where at the end of the year, you get a load of findings and then we've got three weeks for you to try and fix everything. And this is when we come back to that transformation of the program. It really allows you to say, we have an overarching way of managing controls and this is how we're going to do it going forward. And it reduces complexity. And all of this is about, there is a upfront piece of work to reduce that complexity, i.e. it's not just a we're just going to do a SOX approach. You, you have to adapt your other programs into it. But by doing that, you really are reducing complexity and starting to think about an overarching control framework and a process for managing it and probably much more thought through 
way of dealing with exceptions. Because I think one of the big things here is a looking at the risk level before just accepting things. Exactly, because SOX is a top-down approach and it's dictated by law once it's part of legislation. So why, as a business, are you not really using that opportunity as a perfect excuse or reason to start rethinking your entire risk compliance landscape, right? Because different standards in compliance, different regulations that requires control um, setup uh, or, or controls to, to meet those requirements are really there to ensure your business is operating with integrity, right? And what will happen is if you take a top bottom up approach, you might be duplicating some of those activities to satisfy different regulations, but essentially you're doing the same thing. So this is the opportunity to do a top-down approach, look at what SOX need, look at what you have, and see how you can reduce the number of different control frameworks you have and come up with a unique set that if you focus on these, you satisfy the wider compliance landscape. And in theory, you're actually freeing up your resources from doing duplicate control you know, attestation or management into focusing more on how do we prioritize if the landscape changes and what new controls we need to set up to be ready for the future. Yeah, and one of the things we haven't put on here is accountability. So it allows you to build accountability from senior management down. And you can use that to really rethink how you do these things because for the first time, what it's going to say is you are accountable and you're signing your name that you have got assurance and you're happy with what's happening. I mean, there's things like SMCR and other things, these accountability regulations, but this is drilling accountability into the senior management team and there'll be a much more well stronger lens on this but they'll they'll care about it a lot more that it's something we have to do and we we feel like it's important to the business it'll be strategically important and you can use it as a kind of a opportunity to transform the way that you manage controls exactly and it also put kind of it also elevates kind of the importance of risk compliance and organization because now your directors or your senior executive now have to sign and attest against those. So it puts the whole game at a different part. So it's always worth going back to these of kind of the challenges of, I mean, we all know that today's security and compliance professionals, it's really hard to make sure that business is done quickly and securely. Again, thinking about this kind of more joined up approach, it will, will really help to do this. Again, you've got ever-increasing number of compliance requirements. UK SOX, whatever it ends up being called, is going to be one of these. And this is a really a initiative where you can start to think about bringing all of those things together under one overarching program to make this much better if you haven't already started to think about that. And that helps bring those overlapping requirements and just reduce the number of controls that are needed um, and making sure that you've not got overlapping requirements and lots of duplicates within the business from those bottom-up approaches. And then finally, it's really thinking about how you can simplify compliance testing and evidence. And again, a SOX approach, consistent controls, described in the same way, you can test once, satisfy many, just makes everyone's life a lot easier. It's not saying this is simple, but really UK SOX has given you an opportunity to address a lot of these problems and get buy-in from senior leadership to rethink the way you manage your controls. Basically, do the heavy lifting early, leveraging the SOX opportunity to make sure that then you're operating in a more standardized and simpler way for, the, for your company moving forward. So how then do we operationalize SOX? Well, there are some essential steps 
So, for example, you know, you need to educate your C-suite and board on what SOX is, what the priorities is. And also something to look at is establishing a UK SOX steering committee. Because if we work on this in silo or give it to compliance or a specific area of the business to look at SOX, things will be missed out. And there will be conflict in how things work, how you manage testing, how you manage control um, changes, documentation. So it's best that you create a steering committee where all part of the business or senior stakeholders and parts of the business can contribute and agree to a vision and roadmap that benefits the entire company and able to pull out the evidence you need for SOX compliance in the most efficient way, right? Like I mentioned, because of the steering committee, then next step you would be is to define your vision and roadmap as well as develop your business case and the benefits you get in SOX. That business case we highly recommend should be how do you embed SOX into the wider compliance and risk landscape? Now, embedding risk and control culture, I'm not going to go into details, but really the step one is to understand the risk associated and then define your control. So this is something some organization overlook when it's a regulatory requirement. It's because from a regulatory standpoint of view, it's looking at what controls you have to satisfy your regulatory requirements. Really, we need to think from a logical perspective, right? Controls exist in organization to mitigate risks. So, if you want your SOX program to be something that transforms or improves the way of risk and compliance management or handling today, then you need to start from understanding the risks associated and then define the controls. Then, the next steps are you know, invest in your first line of defense to make sure they are while equipped with the right equipment, with the right support, with the right information so that they can attest against how these controls operate on a day-to-day basis. And then also establish things like key KRIs to understand that what impact does it have as a business in terms of risk if certain controls or type of controls fail in your attestation. And then lastly, is based on all of these definitions, then standardize what you have defined and automate that using a tool and using processes within your organization. And a couple of things just to pick up on there that like kind of Yang mentioned is it really is allowing you to have a risk-based approach, which a lot of people forget, which is control or compliance for compliance sake. It's not as prescriptive as it needs to be exactly these controls. It's about applying proportionate control to the risk in the context, which is a much more joined up way of thinking, uh, but it does focus you on a process centric view. So process and assets supporting it is a very, it's not just, okay, here's the controls, we just have to test the controls. You have to think about what are the processes, what are the things underpinning it? What are the risks associated to it? And then what controls we've got in place. So it's really joining together those two, two worlds really, then you can have a more proactive approach by using those KRIs and really allows you to take advantage of things like tooling to standardize and automate this process. So key recommendations. I mean, so I'll start with the first one is don't reinvent the wheel. Leverage your existing control and risk frameworks, but obviously make sure that they're applicable and you apply the kind of a SOX approach to them. So thinking about, as we've just said, Have you understood your critical processes? Have you understand the risks associated with them? Have you tagged assets and systems that support those processes? And thinking about it in that way, rather than just, we've got these systems, these are the controls, is is a much more 
risk-based approach, but you can leverage what's already there. And then the second key recommendation we have as part of the session is to reduce the mundane and repetitive tasks you may have. And this supplements the first recommendation in the sense that do not create a separate set of activities and tasks if you know that the requirements in SOX overlaps with any of your current internal policies or other regulatory requirements. What should be happening is if they overlap, then look at what controls you may have in place, what risks you may have in place. Does it apply to that SOX requirement? If yes, the outcome of those testing should be pulled through into your overall SOX performance rather than giving it someone else tested in silo again. The final one is obviously start planning now. This is something that is going to be coming. Obviously, there's not exact dates on it. You can really start to think around reviewing the things that you need to support it. So have you got the teams in place to deal with this style of control testing? Do we have the skill sets in? So reviewing your operations, making sure you have the tools. Um, that's not to say that you have to use GRC tool, but you need a systematic way to manage this. It is a fairly robust process. It will be consistent and repeatable. So have you got the tooling and people to support it? And obviously that framework. So if you haven't got a joined up process risk and control taxonomy, you should be thinking about that now and thinking about that in priority of kind of what's financially significant to the business. So a lot of this work is things that you should be starting to think about now and you can get on with without fully understanding exactly what the requirements are going to be. If we look at the US SOC scenarios, some of the most successful business cases, they start planning out how their SOX framework can benefit the organization probably in a year or two in advance, right? So really planning should happen now to avoid being any last minute window shoppers. Thanks for listening. And like I say, if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to Yang and myself on LinkedIn. Uh, our email emails will be on the bottom of this. Thank you. Thank you.